Hi everyone and welcome to the Indie Dev Game Break Podcast, where we interview indie game creators and force them to take a break from their labors of love and talk about their inspiration, the technology, and the top games that influence them. I'm your host, Grant Carstensen from Stray Voltage Games. Hi everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Indie Dev Game Break Podcast. Our guest today is Martin Hunsis from the studio Team Clam. Currently based out of beautiful British Columbia, Team Clam makes narrative-driven, role-playing games, among other interesting genres. Their game Clam Man on Steam, released back in 2019, as well as their free prologue, Clam Man 2 Open Mic, both enjoy a very positive rating on Steam and feature a unique, non-combat, narrative-driven, RPG style of gameplay. Martin hails from Finland originally and has a series of narrative-driven games on itch.io as well to enjoy. He has recently secured funding and is now working full-time on Clam Man 2 Headliner. Martin, welcome to the show. Looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Excited to talk. <laughs> All right. So, Martin, let's dig right in and uh, start with the the first question and what drew you to becoming an indie game developer uh so uh, i think uh, i've always had a a like a fascination or almost obsession with games just growing up uh we didn't have a computer for a very long time i i didn't grow up with any consoles so it was a lot of going over to friends houses and playing games uh, a lot of just watching other people playing games and uh a lot of reading like instruction manuals and, and booklets, uh, which I wish they still made because I love those. Um, and it, it was a long, long period of time of just like loving games and being super interested in games, but actually making games or becoming a developer seemed was not really in like the realm of possibility for a very long time. Not because it wasn't possible, just because it, it, it just didn't seem doable. It just didn't seem like a reasonable thing or like an actual uh, you know, career to pursue. Um, so uh, it's it's for for a very long time. It was this this uh, very serious hobby or this very very like deep interest of mine. And uh, I think eventually it was because my uh, one of my brothers learned how to code, and uh, we were talking, we were joking around about doing game jams and making a game, and uh, we figured, hey, we'll we'll make something, and that eventually turned into to Climbline One. And I think uh, at that point uh, was when I realized like, oh, you know, this is actually doable. This is actually something I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so after doing that, is it, it was just a question of making my own little things, uh, doing a lot of contract work, free, freelance work, narrative work, that kind of thing. And just kind of falling in love with the, the craft itself. Uh, I, I think what, what drew me in... Um, uh, more theoretically i suppose is you get to make things you get to build things you mm-hmm. and people get to experience and experience them like in in their own spaces and kind of uh, you know put their own perspective on things their own view on things and uh yeah i don't know i i've i've always like drawn uh, drawn comics or, or or written short stories for people to to laugh at or enjoy and I think games in particular is just more interesting because it's so multi-disciplinary. Uh, it's, it's art, it's animation, it's code, it's, it's writing, it's gameplay. 
there's just so much about it. And uh, yeah, I, honestly, it's, it's just something that I can't imagine not doing anymore. <laughs> you caught the bug. What, what did you yeah. do before? Because um, what was it, about four, five, five or six years ago you yeah. kind of got into it? Yeah, about six, six or seven, depending on yep. the way you look at it. I've, I've been in the industry, and, and uh, before that, I was a chef, actually, for, mm. for almost six years. And uh, it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird career to jump from. Uh, but it, it, it sort of makes sense, because you're working long hours, and you get home, and you're all pumped up on adrenaline, and you can't sleep for hours after getting back. So, and all your friends are sleeping, all your family's sleeping, so... Yeah. You just kind of sit up at the PC and yeah, that's when I, I, I learned making things, I suppose, looking into tutorials, playing around with Unity, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, once once Climb Man 1 came out uh, and I was able to do freelance stuff, I figured, hey, I'm just going to focus on this full time now. Yeah. That's very interesting. So that's interesting. I've never, you know, Chef is one of those those careers that you know, nowadays with reality TV televised heavily and yeah. very glamorous seeming yeah. on TV. What, what, what was it like working in that industry yourself? What, like, it sounds interesting. It sounds like you found it, <laughs> like you came home and it was not like a, a chill job. You were. No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> I think, yeah, like you said, I think with, with, uh, chefing work is, is so televised and, and so popular now, like yeah. looking back even like 20, 30 years, it was still a very, it was almost like a blue collar job. But now it's it's this kind of fancy things like oh you're a chef like you're, you're you're kind of you're you're interesting you make things and it's you know the job's still the same it's it's grueling hours uh, hard work it's it's uh, consistency above all else it's mm. um, you know uh, emotions are high there's a lot of shouting there's a lot of stress uh, so it's it's not too different from game development <laughs> I guess you have people shouting at you regardless they're just anonymous people online that's all yeah yeah exactly <laughs> no I think the interesting thing is is comparing it because the workload is incredibly heavy uh, when you're a chef it's it's very very tiring but the interesting thing is that you know you get home and then you're done you know you don't yeah. have to worry about something uh, until you get back into work again you know you plan stuff in your head but that's it games is is stressful in a very different way i think you know you're not under pressure as you're developing you don't have a 15 minute timeline for you know i have to yeah. code this feature in because the customer is waiting for it uh it's it's more that you're never truly off and that's yeah. doubly so when you're when you're indie or you're a solo developer i think because yeah. you know whenever you have time off you're like could be working i could be doing this right now I could be doing this right now I'm, am i being productive enough you know so it's it's a yeah. uh, it's a it's an interesting uh, jump on the spectrum of stressful from from one very intense while you're there to one that's kind of constantly on your mind and always with you. But yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting job. It's it's a it's a fun job, but it's it's definitely hard. It's yeah, it takes a toll on you. That's I think comparing it to to games, what do they say? Like the the average person in the game industry is in the game in games for five years, mm. and I think it's kind of similar in in cooking. Or yeah. for chefs you either stick around your whole life or you're out after a few yeah. years yeah that's very interesting it's it's interesting how you describe the difference though you know one you can leave behind and one especially yeah. being indie you carry with you there was that that movie i i enjoyed uh the indie game movie there that uh, was very oh, yeah, popular yeah. a while back and what was it tommy Rafines there from super meat boy he goes i'm tired he goes i'm not tired from making the game 
he was like, I'm tired from not being able to not stop thinking about the game yeah, or something yeah, like exactly that's kind of <laughs> just i can't remember the exact quote but i always found that one uh, kind of stuck with me too yeah. i find when you're in a certain zone it's just always in your head yeah always. it's it's so so true it's so and, true. and yeah like and and all the guys in that documentary were indies as well yeah you know yeah. working on their big breaks yeah yep uh so let's go on to the next question then uh what was mm-hmm. the first game you made uh, so going back now or an early memorable game that you made? Oh, man. Uh, th- this was a hard one because uh, <laughs> uh, there, there was a long period of time, uh, like I said, I, I was I was interested in games and how games were made, but I had no resources. I had no knowledge about it. I didn't yep. know anyone who made them. So um, I, I think the, the first one I, I really remember, because I, I was playing around with BASIC way, way, way back I was playing around with like rudimentary 3D software before I knew about Blender and yep. it was a mess, you know, I didn't get very far. Uh, and I think the first first thing that I made that was like a game was uh, something I made in Construct 2, which was called Turtles Haggling, mm. which I think there's a YouTube video of somewhere. Uh, and it's 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 a stupid nonsense game. It's a game where you, you mash space to haggle down wares and you're <laughs> buying things as a turtle. And uh, eventually the shopkeeper like scolds you for your audacity that you you just keep haggling for things and then you go home and you're sad and you do the dishes and you go to sleep and you're alone and then there's this whole sequence and eventually you just go back to haggling because that's the only thing you know in life and it's just it's an awful game it's it's barely a game you know you mash space you walk left and right you move things around the screen uh but it cracked me up like it, it was funny to make and i think uh I think it holds true for that old like game game dev game dev advice for for people who want to get into the industry is just just finish something you, you know you just finish, finish anything yeah, yeah. like it, it can be trash but as long as you make it from start to finish it's it's you're you've gotten way further than most people do yeah so I, I think when I made that it, I was kind of hooked hmm. and I was like yeah okay well I, I made this it's trash but obviously it's it can only go up from here like I can't make anything worse than turtles <laughs> haggling. So if I ever make Turtles Haggling 2, it better be a you know, massive hit, win all the awards. I'm looking forward to Turtles Haggling 2 now. I, I'm definitely going to be YouTube Googling that and see if I can put that in the show notes. So. Um, yeah, that's good. Uh, so what was the first game you made that you were proud of? Uh, so the, I, I suppose the first, the, the, the first answer that comes to mind would be Clam Man uh, 1, because it was the first like commercial thing I made uh with with a friend and my brother uh but i think the first one i got i was really proud of and the first one i really realized like oh like this is having an impact on people uh was a game i made after clam called abide with me uh which is this short experimental 20 minute dialogue game where you are uh set in england in 1985 i think where you go home to visit your parents and there's a lot of tension there's a lot of sort of things left unsaid. Uh, it's a very depressing game, I think, where you interact with your mother and your father. You haven't seen them for a while. Um, and uh, I, I was proud of that game when I finished it, but I think it was uh, when a, a YouTuber made a video of it, uh, was playing it, and halfway through, uh, you could tell that he, it like it hit hard. Mm. And, 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 you know, I'm watching that and I'm thinking like, oh, maybe he's going through something similar. And and he just started crying in the video. Uh, 
while playing it. And I think it, it resonated with me. It, it hit me so hard uh, to see kind of something that I had made have such an impact on people. Mm. And, yeah. and I think abide with me in general is, is, uh, is that game that I'm, I'm the first one that I'm really proud of because it, it had that impact, not on just this guy, but uh, a bunch of people in the reviews. Like I, I think um, most of the emails or comments I get are about clam, uh, clam one or clam two, but every once in a while I get something from about abide with me and it's always very, very heartfelt. It's always, Hey, like I have not felt this scene in a game before I have not, you know, seeing these emotions that I've struggled with in my life represented in a game. And I just wanted to say thank you. And and that's, that feels amazing. That feels, you know, mm-hmm. you, you made a difference. You made somebody feel seen. And, and I always respond the same and say, yeah, this game was made for, for people like you. It's, yeah, you know, it's, it's a, it's a game that's very, it, it plays on uh, going against the typical, you know, uh, overcoming, difficulties or or you know either that or having really 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 bad relationships with your family uh, where where they're just painted as as bad people but but this one was more about life is very difficult and you go through very difficult things and you deal with very difficult things and uh you know uh, it's okay to feel angry it's okay to feel bad you know how you deal with that anger and, and that tension that's up to you but it's it is human to feel frustrated, I yeah. guess. So and yeah, that, I think I think the, that's my answer. The setup for that game, just for the listeners there who don't know, it, it's uh, it, is it a, an estranged son or you know clearly a, a rough, it, the, the idea is coming home for a, a rare visit. Yeah, yeah. And, and their interaction with the parents and dialogue. Driven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and uh, you know your your mother's kind of upset with you or annoyed with you. You, you haven't been visiting. You haven't been writing. Uh, and uh, your your father's suffering from uh, Alzheimer's, and and there there's just a lot of hmm. there, there's a lot of things. I think in a, in a very kind of yeah, um, uh, what do you call it? Like a kind of a middle class way of like the problems are there, yeah. but we're not going to talk about them. Like yeah. we we're just going to pretend like they're not. It's it's not a thing. Everything's fine. We're and we're just going to talk about them between the lines, and that's kind of what the game does. It's played in two sections the first one being a more straightforward kind of narrative exploration of of what the relationship is and then the second half is the dialogue options change to the kind of interior uh, the 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 interior dia- uh, monologue that the the player is having like right. what what is he actually thinking when he says this and it mm-hmm. and it paints things in in a very very different light even though most of the responses are the same it's it's a very it's a very different different experience when you know when you pick a dialogue option. That's it's nice to see you. Uh, it's it's nice to see you again, mom. Uh, in the first section, and then in the second section, it's uh, I wish you wouldn't make me feel bad about coming home. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. And then seeing like the actual spoken dialogue still still remaining the same. Remaining the same. It, it yeah, it, it changes things a lot. So I'm. It was an experimental thing, but I'm. I'm really glad it 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 worked. And yeah, I'm. I'm very proud of Abide with Me. Yeah, I I had the opportunity to give it a try here, just prepping for the show today. And uh, you know, I, I would say I, I I think I have a, a a good relationship with with my parents. You know, I had 
I, I, I'm consider myself on the lucky side of <laughs> of life and had uh, loving parents and a good good childhood. But I found the first half very very emotional too. Like I came close to having a tear in my eye on a couple of lines, and I thought it was very well written because it evokes that that emotion. And then the second part I found almost jarring. And I suspect, depending on your relationship with your parents, you find that second half very different depending on who you are or each of yeah, them. So, yeah, yeah. you know, and it, but either way, I think it forces you to examine what are those things you say versus what 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 you actually think. And yeah, there's so yeah. many things in life we 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 have our routines, our patter. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know? And, and it's and it's it's definitely interesting seeing. Uh, people play that game and seeing mm-hmm. what they respond to, uh, because, like you said, the the first half uh, has a very uh, is a more typical narrative, and the yeah. second half is a lot more introspective. And it, it's very interesting seeing people on on YouTube or on Twitch playing that game, and and seeing which part it is they react to, because you mm-hmm. can kind of gauge like this is this is how you relate or this is how you feel. Yeah. And depending on you know you you can have people play that second half and be like why why is he being so mean. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and then you're pretty sure, certain that yeah, maybe you haven't gone through something like this, you haven't seen something like this, or maybe you haven't made, you know, come to terms with feeling like this, and you're right. projecting or you're you know deflecting. Uh, whereas others almost immediately get it and and start connecting the two of them, and they they see it, and it's yeah. you know there's no right way to play that game, but it's it's very interesting to see that it can have, um, you know, so much of of the impact that that game has is on the, on the client side, on the player side, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very much up to the player to take it in and deal with it rather yep. than just kind of experience it as a piece of media. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. I, I encourage everyone to give it a checkout. It takes 20 minutes. It's very just thought provoking if nothing else and, and ha- <laughs> make, make forces you to have a few thoughts, which, I think in today's day and age and eight second TikToks and stuff is uh, <laughs> worth having a thought or two and pondering things for a moment. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so tell me a little more about um, uh, Clem Man, the first one. So uh, very positive reviews on Steams on Steam. Mm-hmm. Sorry, um, you know I had had to look for comments. Uh, I, I, t- tell me about it because that came out before Abide with Me. The, yeah, yeah. And, so that and, that was the first commercial one. Yeah, uh, it looked to be f- quite successful for a first commercial release. It it did all right, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I think we got a little bit lucky in in uh, finding like the right audience for it. Mm. It's still a very small game. Like it's not. I always joke about nobody plays that game. <laughs> uh, but the the people who did play it uh, seem to enjoy it a lot. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a point and click adventure game, which is uh, the kind kind of the genre that I grew up enjoying the most. I think. Um, and uh, from the start, it was always a question of, you know, looking back at the games that I enjoyed, uh, you know, what was the what was, what was the aspects that I enjoyed of those games? And it was always it was always the writing, it was always the mm. the, the jokes and the comedy and the puzzles. At times, I think especially in like old '90s era point and clicks, could be you know serious moon logic, uh, very very obtuse, very very strange. Mm. So it, the the idea was always to like, okay, let's remove puzzles made like to to a to a to a majority from the game and just kind of focus on the fun parts of it or the the, the, the comical aspects of it so yeah it's a it's yeah. a it's a very narrative driven point and click game where you play this character called clan man uh which is a joke that i'm still struggling with 
in the sequel because that's his name and it's it's very dumb uh who uh gets fired from his job now you're stuck with it yeah yeah exactly <laughs> uh yeah he gets fired from his job and finds himself kind of embroiled in this this conspiracy about why are people getting laid off what's going on you know he, he gets involved with the mob uh it's it's very silly it's very stupid uh and it's very very goofy and it, it doesn't take itself seriously uh at all uh but yeah we 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 made that uh it, it took a long time to make just because working part-time uh on the side uh and the game is fairly short yeah, even so but yeah it uh it it came out after we uh, we actually crowdfunded uh, a little bit for it uh, we didn't make a lot of money but the idea was to to say that hey this game is is basically done uh we just want to get a composer for it so right uh, you can buy it early and we get money and we can pay a composer to get music for it uh, which is what happened nice uh yeah, and, and, and you know, help pay for like uh, you know the the Steam uh, uh, application fee and and so on and so forth. So we had a small audience from that. I think about 100, 120 people backed the game, which was way more than I expected. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we put it out, and people seemed to like it. It's it's definitely garnered a bit of criticism for not having puzzles. And I think going back at it now, I think you know having more experience, being a little wiser. I think you understand now why point and click games have puzzles because it's it's a pacing thing, it's a yeah. it's a continuation thing. It's it kind of you know makes things a little bit more interesting. So going back to it now, I'd probably add more puzzles to it. But yeah, as a as a first time experience, uh, yeah, it, it it did all right, and I'm I'm pretty happy with it. And we had some big streamers play it, which was very nice. Nice. So yeah, that that, that was this Clam Man right. one. <laughs> So, so I had the opportunity as well. You have the prologue getting ready for your sequel mm-hmm. uh, called Clam Man Open Mic, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the title. Mm-hmm. So I, play, I played a little of that as well. And it, it's clear to me when you, when you pair that with Abide With Me that you, you have a background in philosophy, I believe, or at least some, some schooling there. And uh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, a yeah. little bit. Just, uh, your, your writing style is um, very different than other styles <laughs> of game. I found it very interesting. Tell me a little about that. I appreciate that. It's, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, as for the writing style, I think it's, I think it's a benefit of, of not having any formal education in writing. <laughs> <laughs> so you can afford to be bad and just kind of swing it. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I find that, uh, writing that game is, is very relaxing, almost therapeutic because it's, I can just go with whatever comes to mind. It's very, yeah. it's very inspired by running uh, tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons mm. or, or Trespasser or Fallout or that kind of thing. Uh, so it's very fast and loose. So if I come up with something on the spot, it's like, oh, it'd be fun to have this option here. I can do that. And then, you know, joke around and kind of talk about it with the player through this kind of mm. uh, DM type character. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Clam 2 is... is uh, like you said, it's it's a it's a role playing game full on at this point, yeah, uh, and uh, combatless, um, and it's uh, it, it it picks up where the first one left off, but it's definitely standalone again because few people play the first one, uh, so I don't want to make that a, a, a you know a, a must play to understand yeah. what's going on, uh, but in this one it's it's about uh, you're back in your boring desk uh, cubicle job, and you're struggling with like the mundane with just everyday life. And uh, your boss finds out that there's a comedy club that they've secretly built in the basement. Yeah. And you head down there and you uh, 
speak to the comedians and you're kind of roped into performing stand-up comedy. And your boss is super excited for you. So he gives you like a week off uh, yeah. to do that. And that's that's the game, essentially. It's your week off to to escape the Monday and just kind of chase a dream of being something else than what you are. So uh, is that your next career is stand-up comedy? <laughs> it's it's funny because I, I I did a little bit of stand-up comedy way, way back. It's been yeah. a long, long, like lifetime interest of mine, mostly just kind of consuming it and seeing it and, and thinking about it. And I think there there's probably uh, stand-up shows that I've watched so many times that I can quote them word for word, like start to finish, like old Eddie Izzard stuff or, or Robin Williams even. Um, but yeah, no, the, the reason it's about stand-up is, is because uh, I, it's that very old cliche of like, you know, write what you know. Mm. And it, it seemed like a very goofy, lighthearted, you know, fun thing to talk about or get yeah. into. Yeah. Uh, so it's just kind of combining making games and a love of stand-up into, okay, well, I'm making a game about stand-up. So I'm, I'm effectively ruin, ruining both of my <laughs> hobbies here by just bringing them all together. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if there's no combat, stand-up's probably harder than combat. So Yeah, yeah. It's it's Eater. more humiliating, certainly. <laughs> in, in, the, um, in the 90s, I was in a band in university, and uh, we would play this one uh, one gig every now and then, and, and we were just small time. It was just the, mostly covers at that that place no. but uh, a few of our own and uh a weeknight and uh they would open with these kind of um up-and-coming stand-up comics but like the lowest level just right, starting right, right. out and i i have to say i found we saw the same guy probably three times and you know over the course of a few months when we played there and the first two times just bombed like the crowd yeah, was yeah. didn't get a giggle yeah. He went yeah. up the third time with basically the exact same material and he got a laugh early. The yeah. crowd loved him. And it was it was a yeah. it was a fascinating thing watching yeah. stand up and watching him and I remember looking at the other guys, we're like, what just happened? That yeah. exact same <laughs> show was like it was a, yeah, tough, it's tough, tough. Very, business. very, very tough. Yeah. No, it's yeah. it's 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 interesting just because exactly for what you said, it's it, it's such a it's such a um open and and mm. like personal uh yeah. art form i guess because it's just you it's just you yeah. and a mic and if they hate you they hate you you know <laughs> and it, right. it's so hard to take it not personally you know <laughs> yeah and a lot it's, of similarities very, very to the difficult. game industry right Your yeah game exactly it's yeah. very personal to you yeah sure. yeah no exactly and, and like <laughs> clam 2 especially because i'm solo developing it if somebody hates it i'm like i'm awful whatever i like i'm i'm just trash at what i do i should just pack it up Go back to working in kitchens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good. Um, yeah, I find as well. Your the, the little bit of your games I've played. There's also um, I found it interesting. There's a kindness I found to a lot of the dialogue. You know, there'll be some sarcasm, some humor, but I noticed the characters are kind to each other overall. And there's always an option that makes someone feel good. I found. Oh yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that was that intentional? I I think to a to a degree certainly. I definitely in Clan Man One. One of the writing philosophy, there were, there were two core writing philosophies in that game. The, the, the second one was uh, make this a game that mom can play. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no swearing in Clan Man 1. There's a lot of swearing in Clan Man 2, though. Uh, uh, so this is not a mom-friendly sequel. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I got a negative review on Open Mic the other day that says swears, so I uninstalled. And I'm like, damn. I should have I should have kept that philosophy. I could, should have kept that design. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think I think in general it's uh, 
uh, especially when it comes to RPGs. Uh, mm. There's that old statistic from, uh, is it Mass Effect 1 or the, the trilogy at least, uh, where they, Bioware said that 95% of players uh, played Paragon. Like they played the good options, you know, because mm. uh, people don't mm. want to be mean. A lot of people yeah. I feel really, really like stressed out about being mean to a character in a game. Even if they say something that they think it's nice, if the, you know, if the NPC re- reacts in, in a sad way or like a depressed way, they feel bad and they reload a save and go back into it. Yeah. Um, so I think in general, uh, uh, I don't know, being kind, being kind of sweet about things is is an interesting uh direction to take choice-based dialogue and it's it's certainly more interesting than going you know you know you stand in front of a child and one option is pet the child or the second option is like kick the stroller down a set of stairs because most people are going to pet the child like it's not an interesting choice to make so if you can make it about you know, how do you interact with the child? Are you sweet? Are you kind? Are you kind of indifferent? That's a lot more human. Mm. That's a lot more reasonable. Um, so I think kindness and, and, and sweetness and being kind of, yeah. you know, not being corny with it, but mm. being kind of gentle. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's fun in a way. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's heavily uh, kind of influenced by, I used to draw a lot of comics. I, I used to actually do comics for small papers uh, in Finland. And uh, I used to do like cartoon and comic workshops for kids. And I, I think it's influenced by that because my cartoons were very, uh, not anti-comedy, but very, very gentle, very silly, very much sort of, uh, it's hard to explain, but mm. like a, a kind of kindness to them. And, yeah. I, and I find in general, especially when writing comedy, I feel like snark is, is very, very overused. Yeah. And it's, it's very, it, it's not particularly interesting. And I, I think there's more fun ways of being funny than, than just being cynic or sarcastic or, yeah. or mean about things. Yeah. yeah I found I, I, authentic's a word I would use from a little bit of reading. Yeah. I, dialogue yeah. felt no. authentic to me and, you know, um, I, I enjoyed a few of the choices I made where the other person reacted, made me feel good. I'm like, oh, I just made that person. I just <laughs> yeah, made yeah. that fake clam dude <laughs> feel nice. Yeah, Aww, yeah. I'm a good person. Yeah. No, I, 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 <laughs> I, I think it's, it comes back to like, uh, uh, also, um, like experience and, and playing, playing role-playing games where, uh, the group, my main group is very, very suspicious, very sort of, this person is going to backstab us. This, <laughs> this person is too nice. You know, there's something up. And I like, I, I don't know. I like the subversion of there being nice people in the world. <laughs> you know, it's a but crazy like, idea. Yeah, exactly. Like some <laughs> people are just good people and yeah. want to help you out. And, you know, if, if we can have a fantasy video game world. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm down with making just good people who are maybe sad or frustrated or, you know, are struggling with other things in their lives. Yeah. Uh, I, I think meanness and, and being evil, I'm, I'm sounding like I'm trying to be no, no. excessively wholesome here, but I, I think there's, there's, there's more interesting ways to go about it. And yeah. I, I dislike having mean characters that you can be mean to for just to, you know, just to be mean, just to be like, ha, I showed that guy. It's just not very interesting to me. What's the classic, 
I would argue, slightly lazy trope in most right, right. major media is the villain's clearly the villain early on, and now you don't feel bad when you shoot him. Or yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I mean, life's I, I think, not really like that. It's yeah, much yeah, more yeah. nuanced. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, obviously, there's a place for it. There's, there's, there, there's the flip side. Obviously, yeah. if you look at role playing games of, of you know, you kill fifty goblins and then you go into their camps, and oh no, now there's fifty orphaned goblin children don't you feel bad about yourself I was like no that, that was not the, that that's not why i killed the goblins that's not why i did that i don't want to make don't make me feel bad for something that you know the game is is yeah. showing me or you know is telling me to do but i think especially in games like uh clam 2 where it's there is no combat there's right. no reason to you know you can't kill people there's a there's a section where you can slap a guy across the face and he starts crying and runs off <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and it's and it's very silly. It's very stupid, uh, but it's. I, I think in that environment, you can't afford to make the player feel bad about choices they made. Like it's there. There's more interesting ways of doing it. Yeah, you know, fail, failure should be an exploration of another aspect of the game rather than right. you know cutting you out of content or or trying to like one up the player with you thought you did something good, you did a bad thing. Haha, you know we tricked you. Mm. Yeah, I thought uh, just just to close on that point, you used the word indifferent, and I, I find most humans are generally pretty good, and like you said, are trying to be kind to each other. And I think indifference is often our our biggest crime. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. And and that, I thought that came through in in that short short game as well, the interaction with your parents. There's there's lines in there that are kind of a a very just in, indifferent and not. Not, not yeah, paying, yeah. not paying the moment enough attention, right? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, anyway. sometimes the most hurtful thing you can do to someone is just not say goodbye when you leave. Yeah, you know, rather than saying you know f off or, or whatever. <laughs> not actually it's, having the conversation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Um, let's go on to the next question. That was uh, that was super interesting. Um, what is your current game engine? And uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the technology used to make these games and your games in general. Okay, so um, uh, Clamman One and Two are both being built in Unity, and uh, I, I'm the reason I'm sticking with Unity. I think is just because I'm I'm used to it by this point. Yeah, it's it's the one engine that I feel comfortable, uh, like completely comfortable in. And uh, you're not going back to Construct Two. I'm not. <laughs> no, probably not. Constructor is good. It's great yeah, for like, learning I, I things. I like Construct, but yeah. <laughs> it's just limited by a lot of different yeah. things. And I think the paywall definitely hurts it. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, Unity being free, you know, you can argue there's a bunch of shady stuff that Unity as a company, as a corporation is doing. Uh, the engine itself is, is, is just good for the type of things that I do. And uh, uh, in Unity, I use, and I will never stop, never stop shilling for them because I love them. Uh, uh, Pixel Crusher's dialogue system, which is an is an asset that just manages your your database of dialogue, mm. uh, amazingly, and it's and I, I have such a hard time, uh, you know, working on other projects because I still do freelance stuff, and I've you know recently I was writing and directing a game for Egnut, um, and uh, and we did that in Unreal, and every like the whole time writing that game, I was just I wish I I wish this was Unity. I wish this was Pixel Crushers. Uh, so yeah, uh, Unity Pixel Crushers uh, dialogue system, and also uh, I've used for a fair amount of time uh, Icebox's uh, Adventure Creator. So both of these are they're they're paid assets, but they're in, in my book well worth the money. It's just yeah. it it takes so much hassle out of the 
the the problem the game development so uh yeah th those are those are the tools i use uh yeah i can see the dialogue system being very important for a game incredibly you, so you could quickly yeah. get lost in the logistics of it instead of the writing if you're yeah yeah have good and, tooling there and it, it's interesting because i find uh having worked so much in node-based writing at this point um i do something that i'm, I'm sure if there's writers or narrative designers listening to this they're gonna they're gonna cringe and, and just shudder uncontrollably when i say that i i write almost entirely in engine i i don't do any drafts really i don't do anything yeah i, I just uh, I, I I just write in nodes because yeah. it's I, I find it very difficult to write uh, choice based dialogue and RPG dialogue uh, in text. It just mm. messes me up and it takes way longer uh, than it than it should or than I know it could if I worked mm. in engine. And it, it's interesting since uh, over the last two or three years, uh, Tales, for example, the game I, I wrote and directed for Egnet was half the length of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And and Clam Man Two, wow. uh, as of now, is is two hundred two hundred and fifty word thousand words long. So it's it's an insane amount of writing, and I, I found since I'm ninety percent working in engine, I have a really hard time writing prose on a page now. Like my mind is just set to work in nodes. So if I'm writing for fun, uh, my first instinct is to just create a Unity project and write in nodes because really? I just find that more interesting at this point or, or it's just, it, it just comes easier did you say a hundred thousand words to two hundred fifty thousand words two hundred fifty thousand words in clam two right yeah, now yeah so that's like four short novels <laughs> yeah and yeah. not even a short novel really like <laughs> yeah no it's uh, and it's 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 frustrating because wow the i think it was about the same length tales was about the same length uh wow. which is a, a three or four hour game but you know, it's that frustration of, well, not a frustration, but it's that you have to have that understanding that most players are going to see maybe 30% of your dialogue. Yeah, right. And, and, and in Clam 2, especially, it's, it's a very conscious choice that I want, I want there to be a lot of stuff that you cannot see uh, on a single playthrough. I want right. there to be things that you can randomly come across that you can see if you have a certain, you know, yep. uh, allocation of stats, uh, you get a certain numbers on your dice rolls. Uh, there, there's uh, so Clam Two has has in in some quest, uh, in some instances you roll the dice to see your outcome and you add your modifiers like any tabletop game, yep. and uh, and that determines the outcome. And uh, very often there's a lot of quests in the game that you can only get if you fail, for example, or if you succeed critically. So there's a five percent chance uh, of a player seeing this particular quest quest line or or set of dialogue. Um, so it's yeah you you have to kind of bear in mind working on something like this that you're going to be writing a lot that no one's ever going to see yeah and and uh, I think that, honestly it's it's stressful and it's super exhausting to write but it it keeps you going because it's so the idea of somebody finding that thing and being like oh like what mm -hmm. like could I only have gotten this if I did this or so and so you know that that feels like a reward enough yeah. to me like i when clam 2 finally comes out i want two people to play the game at the same time and to be like oh did you do the the, the thing where you fight the dream snail and then and for the other player to be like what like the dream snail what are you talking about it's like yeah yeah it's it's when you dream and you roll a nat one and you get this and then you choose that option you get and you get a, a whole quest where you fight a dream snail who taunts you in your dreams it's like no i didn't i what 
what are you talking about? So, you know, that, that I, I love that stuff. I, yeah. I, I, I absolutely adore that stuff. And it's a fun way also of, of um, rewarding the player who's willing to take the, yep. the stranger dialogue options, you know, the, even the, the, the semi mean ones or the, you know, the, the weirdly self-deprecating ones. If you pick that, I want to make sure that the player is always rewarded for it by getting something weird, mm. which is very cool. That's, that's, that's a lot of words. That's a lot of writing. It, it is, yeah. It's, it's impressive. Luckily, though, it's Clam Two is like you said. It, it's uh, it has a very authentic tone. It has a very like mm. I, I try at least to make sure that the dialogues feel very organic. I hate the the typical sort of what can you tell me about this? What can you yeah. tell me about this? Right. What can you t-? you know? Which is very typical in RPGs, and I yeah. understand why they do it uh, because you know in large studios you have. 10 writers and then you have localization and then you have edits and you have so-and-so you can't go crazy with it the way I'm doing since it's just me. Uh, but yeah, in, in climb two, I, I like there being kind of an organic flow to things. So you feel like whenever you play a dialogue, I want you to feel like that was the only way that dialogue could have gone right. until you play it again. And you're like, Oh, actually there was like 50 different ways that dialogue mm-hmm. could have done. Right. Very cool. Well, let's 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 wrap up this segment with the last question, then we'll get on to mm-hmm. your top five here. Um, let's tell us about your current game project, Clam Two um, Headliner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, about that. Uh-huh. Uh, so, Open Mic, which is what we've been talking about, is kind of the prologue to Headliner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just something I saw a lot of indie studios do, like releasing this free, uh, not a demo, but like a free standalone intro version of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's great for traction, it's great for getting people to see the game, and especially on Steam, if somebody sees free to play, the the barrier is very low to try it out. Yeah. Uh, versus a demo, which is for some reason a lot more. I don't know. It takes more effort for, for yeah. people to play it, and I know that's true for me. Uh, so open mic was just the first day of of headliners. Like I said, headliner is this is the full game. It's uh, currently planned to be six days of in game, uh, uh, six in game days. Uh, all of them about as long as, as open mic, which is, depending on who you ask, anywhere between an hour to three hours long. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a game where you escape your boring office job. It's the 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 elevator pitch I used for a long time for the game was um, uh, a game where a, a stand up comedy narrative combatless RPG, just way too long. Uh, where jokes are loot and uh, comedy shows are boss fights. And that was the idea. Like, you do quests, you don't get gear, but you get jokes that you then, uh, you know, you you do things for people, you talk to people, and you reflect on them, and that kind of lets you mentally construct a joke. And then at the end of each day, uh, you go on stage and you tell those jokes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a question of, you know, finding the right jokes that work with your build, and then also just getting lucky on stage and, and and rolling the dice and see, you know, how do you end up doing it? Get that first person to laugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, <laughs> so it's, sorry, go yeah, ahead. But, uh, no, no, that, let's, that, that's kind of where uh, combat's out of the equation. It's more a question of, uh, mm. you know, how are you optimizing your jokes? How are you right. making sure that whatever jokes you tell on stage are going to work with your build? best and and do as well as possible but again like since it's a since it's a linear game uh, not linear but it's it's very uh, failure is always treated as a valid option forward right so it's 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 more a question of if you fail if you completely bomb on your first night 
which I, th I see a lot of people doing. Um, I, I make sure that um, the, the consequence of that is, is just that you feel bad. Uh, the, the, you know, other characters in the world would be like, ah, oh, you know, you'll get it next time, maybe, probably. Or, you know, meaner characters will be like, yeah, that's about how I thought that would go. Uh, so it's, it's more a question of, of constant choice being reflected on and, and kind of implemented into mm. upcoming dialogues. So that's that's like the big the big combat sequences uh, in citation marks. And, and was Clam Two going to be your next game, or were you working on anything else, kind of messing around with with the engine and and, and things? Uh, I have a few projects that I'm messing around with uh, right now because Clam Two got picked up. That's that's the main one that I'm doing, yeah. and I'm I'm excited to do it still. Uh, but I have uh, I'm a big fan of like boomer shooters uh, or just you know classic FPSs. So I have one like that that I'd like to do at some point. Um, I have this detective RPG that I'd like to do at one point. Uh, I have one game that I might, at some point, if I have time, I might take a break from Clam 2 and finish it. It's a game called uh, uh, Chet, Minkus. Chet Minkus Locks Himself Out of His Suburban Apartment, uh, which is a game where you play as a character who wakes up in somebody's house and you go to the window and you find the owner of the house who's like, hey, I locked myself out. Can you... Can you help me get in? And you know things spiral out of control, and you blow up his fireplace with C four and uh, stuff like that. So th there's a lot of little things that I want to do, and certainly after Clam Two is done, uh, RPGs is definitely what I want to be doing. Yeah. The um, just before we move on, do you think you'll ever make an RPG with combat? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I'd like to certainly. Kind of I a story-driven one with, with combat as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I always like... Uh, I, I wish we had more games with uh, more interesting role-play, mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, it's that typical thing of, like, the Fallout games having a single stat for speech, which affects everything. Uh, and, and to me, is is just not a very interesting way of doing it. I love Fallout 1 and 2, but it's just not... Not that interesting. So I'd love to do an RPG at some point with combat, but where the 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 role play and the character build as a personality is is a lot more uh, in the forefront. Cool. All right. Well, that was great, Martin. I enjoyed that conversation. Let's uh, let's move to the second half or third of the the show here and talk about your top five games that influenced you. Got you. It. Yeah. And we'll uh, we'll count down in reverse order here, starting with number five. Your first pick. I might note a cheat as well, as you picked a series, <laughs> not a game. Uh, the original I'll talk about was created by Ron Gilbert, Tim Schaefer, and Dave Grossman. And uh, they were developed and published by LucasArts back in the early 90s. You picked the Monkey Island series. Tell yes. us about this choice. Uh, it's, I mean, the, the easy answer is just that they're great games. They're really funny. They're just super charming and and they're just oozing with personality i guess mm. uh it, it's just yeah no ever since i played the first monkey I, I i just went through all of them played them multiple times and i still love them dearly mm -hmm. uh i i think uh when it when it comes to to uh, it as a game that kind of influenced me uh i think monkey one or two uh has something that definitely kind of enabled clam man one uh so back in 2000 when was it i forget they they re-released the games with like yeah. updated graphics and voice acting and so and so and they had this 
uh, uh, commentary. And I remember one of the one of the sequences. Um, I, I think it was Tim Schaefer told a story about how the dialogue came to be, and that was that originally Monkey Island One was supposed to be this serious pirate adventure, swashbuckling, you know, not not drama, but in that kind of uh, you know. A typical adventure Lucasfilm game uh, kind of way, LucasArts. Yep. Uh, and the way that story goes was when they were making the game, uh, they were putting in placeholder art and placeholder dialogue and so-and-so. And, so. and uh, Schaefer and was it Grossman uh, or Gilbert uh, were writing just these joke dialogues, this these you know ridiculous, silly, silly little bits of dialogue uh, for fun because they expected the dialogue to be replaced with actual, you know, serious dialogue at some point. And, and they kept doing this throughout development. And, and the way the story goes is uh, Schaefer, I think, uh, walks to or, or goes over to, to Grossman is like, so, okay, so when do we get the final dialogue? When do we get the actual, when can we start implementing that? And, and Grossman responds was like, no, no, we're going to keep this. This is great. Uh, and I think that story uh is basically the writing design of of clam man one which is just write it for fun just enjoy it and whatever comes to mind if it makes you laugh put in put in the game and that's that's been kind of part of my writing philosophy forever since i heard that story it's just okay if if i enjoy something or if i'm having fun writing it chances are other people are gonna like it too it's and it's just gonna be fun like you don't have to take things incredibly seriously you don't have to mm-hmm. be uh you know plan everything out be uh you know go through 16 drafts before you find a final thing if you have something that's fun you can leave it in it's that kind of uh, it's that kind of um it's how people like sketches of art oftentimes yeah. more than the final yeah. art because it's 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 got a very human element to it yeah. it's got a very raw like personal element to it and uh yeah, no, that's that's what I love about uh, the Monkey Island games. There's that sequence in, is it Monkey Two, where you're digging out the bones of uh, Largo Lagrand's grand ancestor or something, and you know you bring out the shovel and the lightning's going on in the background, and you dig out this grave and it's very dramatic, and you bring out and you lift up the bone over your head, and Guybrush's pants just fall down. <laughs> for no reason and he's like oh and he pull, pulls them back on and the game never acknowledges that never points it out and it it's it cracked me up when i saw it the first time. i don't know why i don't know there's no like joke there even in the director's commentary of the the released editions they argue about it they're like i don't get this joke like is did he unbuckle his belt to to dig the grave and schaefer's just like no it's just funny his pants drop that's funny yeah. like you know and i i think that's why I really love them. They have so much personality. They have this kind of do whatever cracks you up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that's why they've always stuck with me. Nice. Nice. And, and definitely a, a clear, you know, the genre, clear influence on you. Um, yeah, for sure. Easy to see that for sure. Excellent. All right, let's move on to number four. Developed by Black Isle Studios and published by Interplay in December 1999. Uh, a commercial... Failure might be a strong word, but certainly not a commercial success, but now deemed a true cult classic in the RPG space. Planescape Torment for the PC. Martin, yeah. tell us about this pick. This is 
whenever I put this on like a list like this, I feel, I, I feel like I'm like I'm being too obvious because it's it's the I feel like it's always on the list of like writers in games or narrative designers. Mm. It's always Tor- torment's always there, uh, and I, I think the the short of it is just that it's it's an it's a amazingly well written story. It's it's incredibly interesting and it 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 flips like the typical high fantasy role playing D and D games on on its head. It's you know it's in the planescape setting, uh, and and it has this weirdness to it that just isn't present in in other uh, role playing games, it, and it's it, it's just great. It, it's written incredibly well. Uh, you know, it, it's it's obvious. It's very much a product of its time, and I think replaying it now, you 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 see a bunch of things that you're like, oof, okay, yeah, this, uh, yeah, the, the, this is this was a this was a artistic choice, I suppose, at the time, but it still holds up. It's still a, a really really good game, and uh, and I think particularly uh, the reason it sticks out so much is because whenever people talk about Planescape Torment, it's the combat is never the draw. I, I think most mm. people will say that the combat in this game is the weakest point of the game. Mm. It's just not very good. And it's true. It's not very good. It's not very interesting. But the fact that uh, you play through this game and you can have a chat with a, a character in a bar or on the streets or anywhere, and it won't progress the plot in any way. It, it will just be this kind of window into the world, into this character's perspective on things, into their personality. And it's like philosophical in a way. It's mm. it's just incredibly, incredibly, incredibly interesting. And I'm a big fan of, you know, the Planescape D and D setting as well. So right. it's it, it's yeah, no, it's 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 just just amazing. And I think additionally, just because it 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 it's so clearly uh, drew from Planescape Torment, Disco Elysium uh, would not exist were it not for Planescape Torment. And Disco Elysium takes, you know, removes the combat almost entirely, right. uh, and 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 approaches things in a very similar way. It's very, very thoughtful, very philosophical, uh, very raw and very real in its dialogue. And uh, I think the reason I I mean I, I love Planescape for it because it also gave birth to Disco, and Disco gave birth to to Clam Two in a way. It mm-hmm. it kind of showed that hey, here's this indie narrative rpg and it people love it people absolutely for good reason you know were completely enamored with disco elysium so it's it it was a nice kind of i don't know proof of concept or like a a a proof that hey there's there's an audience for people who like role-playing games but don't really care about the combat Mm. and i think planescape just laid the groundwork for that and in every way yeah and Black Isle went on, of course, to make uh, a few more, including Baldur's Gate, of course. Right, uh, the uh, Arcanum, for example, yeah. which is, or no, Arcanum was Troika, but it was the people mm. camp coming out of Black Isle. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, it's um, amazing people, and and now at, I mean, most of the people working on those are at Obsidian, mm. uh, you know, working on the Outer Worlds, or 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 some of them are on, on the Fallout series still. It's right. Yeah, no, just 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 genuinely great role-playing game design i think nice okay excellent let's move on to number three and actually number three's been on our list uh at least one other time this season so yeah. uh, another good pick here <laughs> um and also another series cheat so i'm going to make you pick yeah. your favorite on this one 
<laughs> oh, that's tough. Oh, man. Released in, uh, the original released in September 1998 for the PlayStation and Windows. Developed and published by Konami. Directed by Hideo Kojima. And often cited as one of the most important video games of all time. The stealth game Metal Gear Solid series. All right, tell us about this one. Uh, I, I'm a massive Metal Gear Solid nerd. I, since I played the first one, I'm, I'm, I'm stupidly in love with this game. It, it is the series. It is, it's so silly. It's so ridiculous. It's so painfully overwritten. The exposition goes on like for for hours and hours and hours. The final cutscene of Metal Gear Solid Four is like ninety minutes. It's 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 so it's yeah it's it's ridiculous it's it's so bombastic and like over the top and it mm. and i think i love it because it just believes in it it just goes with it there's no you know there's there's some self you know introspection in that game it's some like poking fun at itself but in general it just believes the world that is created it takes all these characters super seriously even with like the ridiculous dialogue it just it, it's such a a genuine expression of love, I think, for the medium, and uh, and and I think when it comes to like influencing me, I, I think Metal Gear Solid uh, one and and three in particular. If I have to pick a favorite, ah, it's going to be one probably, just because it was the, it's the OG. Uh, yeah. When when I saw those games for the first time, when I played them for the first time, I was so blown away. I was like, this is it's like a movie. You know, it's it's mm. you know it's so mm-hmm. cinematic. It's so much stuff, all of these cool things that you can do and that happen in yeah. them. It's it's just uh, it it, uh, it kind of opened my eyes to to a level of of expression, a level of uh, I don't know, just an elevation of games. Of like, games can be more than just arcade shooters. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, it, it they can tell these long, convoluted, ridiculous stories about KGB operatives that can spit bees out of their mouth. It's like it's it's ridiculous, but it I just love it. It's it's so silly, and it's it's and the gameplay generally in all of them is is really good. Yeah, uh, I, I think, and, and I think also it's it's because it's a bit of a tangent. Uh, I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, I think there's also like a love for Kojima and his like unabashedly nerdy love for games. Yeah. And uh, it, it, uh, it reminds me a lot of uh, Quentin Tarantino in a way. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's very easy nowadays to be cynical about games and be uh, like overly critical or, or I don't know. I think, I think games and developers as an industry are a little un. I, like we're a little insecure about the medium because it's still very young and it's still like a, a little bit of a chip on our shoulder about like, mm-hmm. no, like take it seriously. Like it's games are just as important as the movies. Uh, and I think we're still a little insecure about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so seeing Kojima talk about games and seeing the way he approaches games, it's just does not care about, you know, does this make sense? Is this ridiculous or not? It's like, no, it's cool. I want to do it. it. You know, it's it's fun, and it, uh, the reason it reminds me of Tarantino is because watch an interview with Tarantino where he talks about movies. He's such a nerd. Yeah, he's such a ridiculous nerd. He'll bring up like you know games for uh, movies from the fifties, and he'll know every cast member and other movies that they've made. Yeah. 
and that kind of thing. And I think that kind of expression of just absolute love for the craft, you know, the every other aspect of it be damned. It's just really, really inspiring to me, Mm -hmm. I think. So yeah, that's, that's, I, I, I could not, I can't not put Metal Gear Solid on the list. <laughs> nice. Great pick. And uh, yeah, it's a good, good comparison to Tarantino, right? Like the, he, I think uh, with uh, Kojima there, he's considered an auteur or how do you ever use right, right. that word, you know, just, um, and being new, I, 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 I brought up another episode, but I always enjoyed the, especially the first few seasons of Mythic Quest and that insecurity right in the opening scene where right. he's trying to get himself compared to Spielberg, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but that's, you know, it, it's funny because they, it, you look at the dollars it dwarfs. Oh yeah. The yeah. Movie industry. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it's huge. It's, uh, but you know, we're still getting over being an evil, evil industry there in the late nineties <laughs> yeah, yeah. where we were the cause of all, all ruin of the children. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> like people still bring up the argument of like our games art and I think if you if we bring it up, that's just insecurity at this point. Yeah. Like obviously they are. Right? We yeah. don't need to talk about this anymore. Right. But even so, like people, even with Disco Elysium coming out a couple of years ago, people are like, "This is proof that games are art." It's like, no, we don't need proof. We don't got to prove it anymore. We just got to make games. Just enjoy doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right, your number two, and and this one's a classic, and one I can't believe hasn't been on our list yet. Um, as soon as I saw it, I was like, great pick. First published, this is going to give it away. As soon as I say this, everyone's going to know. First published in the USSR back in June 1984 for the IBM PC clones. Uh, rest of the world, it came in the uh, around 19, 1988, created by, oh, I meant to look up how to pronounce his name, Alexei Pajitnov. I apologize to all those that have offended with my pronunciation. The puzzle game Tetris. Yes. Great pick. Tell us about it. Tetris is... Uh, so I, I know all of these other games are, are fairly narrative heavy. Um, and I think making narrative games, that's pretty obvious that it's going to be the case. But Tetris is just, I think, game design perfected. It, it's just mm-hmm. It's just incredibly good. And I think it just... Just playing it for five minutes is gonna it, it hooks you and i think the reason yep. you know it releases on the game boy and suddenly you know uh grandmas were playing tetris on the game boy because it's 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 just ridiculously good and I, and I think the reason i love it is because it was also the first game that i decided that i wanted to be good at you know it's mm. i i'm i'm far from a competitive uh, uh player of games I, I i don't care about leaderboards i don't care about rankings i i play for fun and casually uh and i play single player mostly but tetris was really the first one where i was like okay i want to be good at this and i want to learn and i got really good at tetris uh and i I still play it on on this day i still have my 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 lime colored game boy color uh with tetris in it this is the only game i have uh and i still play it regularly in tetris effect and all this it's just it's just very very good and i think the the reason i keep coming back to it is because it's it's um like I said, perfection of game design, and I think game design in general is is something that's very under uh, uh, overlooked mm. in in narrative design and in narrative games. It, it's very uh, narrative design as a as a medium is more about how do you how you tell a story within the framework of the game design or of the game, 
you know, it's a very nebulous concept. It's a very nebulous field and everybody's going to have their own definition of it. But I think the reason Tetris uh, just sticks with me is, is because it is, it, it kind of reminds me that there have, there needs to be systems in play. And, and I think uh, it's a shame uh, that games as an industry don't really acknowledge like the beauty of system design and game design. Mm. Uh, you know, we have, we have award shows, obviously, but it's game of the year, you know, best genre title and so and so and so. And we have best narrative, best story, but we don't have, we don't kind of acknowledge individual elements of really great design. And I think that's a shame. And I think that it, it deserves to be looked at more because good design is, is so difficult to pinpoint, but when you've mm-hmm. got it, you know, you have it. And yeah, I, I, I think I, I can't not put Tetris on the game on the list. I, I, I play Tetris all the time. Hmm. And I think narratively, it's also interesting. Tetris is a game about making mistakes and living with them. And that's how you get good at Tetris. You know, uh, people play Tetris and just play it for fun or, or whatever, or, or stack, stack blocks and, and mess up. And okay, well, I lost. I'm just going to play it again. But I think the key to being good at Tetris is understanding that you're never going to be perfect. You're always going to make mistakes, even at the highest level of play. You're always going to make mistakes and you win at Tetris. You get better at Tetris when you acknowledge that and you, you're like, I messed up. Now I need to go into cleanup mode. Now I need mm-hmm. to fix this. Now I need to repair this. Now I need to reconstruct my well or whatever. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's weirdly inspiring mm. <laughs> in a strange way. So yeah, no, I, Tetris arguably the greatest game of all time. Yeah. I, I love that description, Martin. That's, that's, that's a, <laughs> I just, I just, the average person Tetris, well, you stack blocks, Martin's version, <laughs> the narrative, no combat RPG guy writes a philosophical description about how, what it, it really, it's about failure and living with failure in life. Yeah. Cause you, you know, it's, you, it. you don't get to choose what blocks you, you get, you yeah. just get them and then you deal with it. And then you're you like, all right, it. I gotta, I gotta figure this out now. All right. I like that. There, there's a there's an entire a medium article or something about Tetris. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are. Life. I'm sure there is already. Yeah, maybe there is. Maybe there is. If not, you, you, I think there's something there. Uh, I love it. Uh, all right, let's get to your top game, top number game. one. And it another game developed and published by Interplay. That's that. This is the other one on this list there we here. Go. Yeah, published in 1997 for PC, it won RPG of the Year from multiple magazines and institutions. It was nominated for many more awards. The post-nuclear RPG Fallout for PC. Tell us why this is number one, Martin. I, I think I, I think this came very easily when I was picking out these games. It's like, what, what do I put in number one? Oh, Fallout. Fallout 1 from 97. Easy. Mm. And then, then it was a question of filling out the rest of the list. It's just... Yeah. I, I think it's just... Uh, Again, it's it's a subversion of the typical role playing game of the typical fantasy, you know, D and D. And at the time, uh, you know, the only other one I can think of is like Wasteland, uh, which I mean, Fallout was a spiritual successor to. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think it's just uh, the 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 approach to 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 role play design in Fallout is just very good. It's it's uh, you know it, it's obviously dwarfed uh, by comparison 
to to modern role playing games with you know the amount of options that you have. But even things like uh, you know low intelligence runs that was first a thing in Fallout Two, as far as I know at least, where your character if you have one intelligence you speak in like stutters and like disconnected sentences and weird things like that. And uh, I think just playing this game so much uh, when I was a kid, uh, it it just stuck with me. And and I think everything I do in in uh, in role playing games now. Uh, whether it's playing them or, or designing them or making them, it's in, in some way I always come back to Fallout 1 or Fallout 2. Uh, like I, I was making, I'm redoing open mic, I'm redoing the intro based on feedback I've gotten. And I, I have now this character creation screen, et cetera. And I realized halfway through building that, it's like, oh, wait, you're just building the Fallout 1 character creator. <laughs> like it's, it looks like it. And I, and I didn't realize it until yeah. I was looking at it and I'm like, yeah, oh, shit. You know, it just stuck with me. And uh, same thing goes for, for you know, quest design and, and character interactions. Uh, it's just an incredibly good game. And, you know, it's it, it can be hard to go back to, especially if you haven't played it uh, now. Uh, it has a lot of, you know, old quirks of the time. We're still kind of figuring it out. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it really... Uh, even more so than even Baldur's Gate laid the the groundwork for for role playing game design to a, to a massive extent for like the entire industry. Hmm. Uh, you know, obviously tons of other role playing games around that time before and after, but I think Fallout had such a massive cultural impact and uh, design impact that I, I can't think of uh, another game that I draw from as much as that. You know, whenever yeah. I'm talking about games with, with other developers or you know, uh, bouncing ideas, inevitably at some point, excuse me, <laughs> inevitably at some point I'm gonna bring up Fallout One or Two, yeah. or an example from those games because they're just in- incredibly good. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, uh, going at it, you know, what what did the the Black Isle folks make after Fallout Two? You know, you go to Arcanum, uh, you go to there are other role playing games, and it's they're clearly perfect the formula afterwards they get better the games keep getting better but yeah no fallout one it's it's just very good and i i think if if you're willing to like put up with like old design quirks uh or archaic design from that era it's still i think everyone should go back and play it this is just incredibly good game nice so i didn't realize that but you just said that is it was essentially black isle studios under a different name working yeah, yeah. interplay interplay that made fallout yeah, so then yeah, they no, went on to make the 1999 one which you you also have enough planescape and uh, yeah exactly it's 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 history. it's really interesting it's it's this group of people like trailblazers in the rpg mm. uh like dev sphere that went on to create some of the the, the greatest role-playing games of all time and i think right. and it all goes back to fallout it all yeah. like it all started with fallout i think to 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 a heavy degree and yeah, like what what you said, Black Isle Studios being like just this kind of subsidiary of of, of Interplay at the time. I mean, when they started working on Fallout One, it was just one guy mm. uh, putting it together, and then other people would come in. He would lure them in with pizza, and <laughs> and have them come and work on the game. And it took ages for them to greenlight it and be like, "All right, finish that game. We're gonna make this game." And then they put it out. And you know, again, not a as far as I remember, not a massive like commercial hit. But definitely, like culturally and critically, yeah. massively acclaimed. 
That's that's such a nineties thing to yeah. lure them in with pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe even two thousands kind of ended. Thank goodness. But yeah, yeah. Although, like yeah, the same way that Doom and Wolfenstein was yeah, fueled by fueled diet by, coke and pizza. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I read uh, one of my one of my not favorite books, but an enjoyable read. It was uh, the Masters of Doom. They're all about kids. Oh yeah. Burn. Great, just, great, great book. Just, just enjoyed the, you know, could relate to a lot of it because I'm similar aged and just, you know, <laughs> stayed up late working on their game, cracking yeah, a exactly. coke and pizza, and they, they <laughs> life was simple. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, very good pick, and, and it's interesting too. Um, I'm, I got a few years on you, and I always, I always, I, I make sure I bring it up. It, pretty much going to need to rename this podcast Bard's Tale. <laughs> I, yeah also okay. a great game but 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 if you go back to the roots there right you got wasteland which was basically interplay the bard's tale series and of exactly. course though anyone who's uh got a few years they'll then of course take it back to ultima and wizardry and a few yeah, no, for that sure. were all for in sure. the same years but you could see that evolution of that bard's tale engine wasteland fallout and then the technology yeah. and, and they lot of a uh, lot of years of experience there leading to these yeah these just uh, so much knowledge that and and it's it's so interesting that as a you know again as an art form games are so young still mm. that we have still the people that worked on fallout one are still making games yeah you know it's it's really quite interesting that you have you know pioneers or like original developers of some of the most lauded titles in the world still making things to this day it's it's really exciting that there's this you know, uh, wealth of experience and, and knowledge coming from these original games going yeah. into the new ones. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. They get, get the chance to revisit old ideas with, you know, yeah. all the learnings on gameplay and design. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of. Be, lot be of very interesting to see a, a, a Fallout 1 remake of sorts with like mm. modern, not necessarily entirely modern design conventions, but right. you know, kind of with smooth smooth out the edges a bit. Smooth out the areas where you're losing players for the wrong reasons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, great pick. Great uh, great, great game. So well thanks for your time today, Martin. Um, I think that uh, concludes our interview for the d- today with a, a good good list there and an enjoyable interview. Um before we say goodbye, where should we send everyone to learn more about your games and to, to follow your upcoming games? Uh, so if you want to follow the development of Clam 2, probably the best way would be on Twitter. I'm, I'm setting up Discord servers for it. Uh, I'm, I'm posting about development on Steam as well, on the nice. Steam forums. Uh, but yeah, probably uh, Clam underscore team uh, on Twitter or just my personal account, Modifas, uh, is, is probably the best way to 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 keep it coming i'm gonna try to ramp up Mm. like the online presence of my projects because marketing is just something i I hate and i struggle with Mm. uh but i'm trying to put it out there a little bit more but as of now uh definitely uh on twitter i'm I'm posting a lot about it and also if open mic sounds interesting uh it's available on steam uh for free climb into open mic and uh probably uh I'm not. I don't want to make any promises because I don't think I've I made it public yet. But I, I might as well. Uh, most likely for the next uh, Steam Next Fest, uh, mm. uh, I, I'll be revising Open Mic entirely. I've been working on that lately. Yeah. So there's going to be an updated demo or like updated Open Mic with 
a bunch of changes, a bunch of new features, just kind of taking account everything that people liked or didn't like about the original uh, version of it. And uh, yeah, that's great. I, I suppose be on the lookout for that. Yeah, and that that's I think the next next fest is October timeframe. Something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Looking forward to it. And all those links and information will be in the show notes. I certainly encourage everyone, um, if, if you liked what you heard here today, to have a look at your itch page as well. And I'll include that in the show notes. Oh, yeah. Lots yeah. of interesting games. And uh, again, just something something different in terms of how you interact and a little <laughs> makes you feel a little more and think a little more than the average uh, shoot 'em up. So a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Yeah pleasure having you today best of luck with clam man looking forward to it yeah thank you so much for having me thanks take care thanks for listening to today's episode of the indie dev game break podcast where we interview indie game creators on their inspiration, technology, and the top games that influence them. The Indie Dev Game Break podcast is hosted by Grant Karstensen with Stray Voltage Games. Music provided by Village Sound from Nova Scotia, Canada. Art and graphic design by Chad Boutelier. 